0: Thank you all for listening this podcast. This is Coding Talks with myself Vishnu VG. I am a .NET programmer from Tiruvannamalai, Having experience working with the different cloud vendors like Microsoft Azure, AWS and GCP. I am an AWS community builder for storage. There are a lot of sessions which are there on this podcast. In addition to that, there is a meetup group called Coding Talks Cloud Computing where I take sessions on different cloud technologies and those sessions are available on my YouTube channel which is the same name as that of this podcast. All the opinions and Things that are expressed through this podcast and also in that YouTube are purely personal and do not represent any of the employer's view in any way. With that, we can start understanding the microservice architecture in more detail. In the previous episode in this podcast, we were discussing on understanding microservices with respect to the different other forms of architectures like the layered architecture, the, uh, uh, and other forms of architecture and how service architecture and how microservice uh, differs from those. We also talked a bit about the uh, monolith, modular monolith, and we also entirely stressed on avoiding the distributed monolith at all cost because it creates the complexity of distributed architecture. Plus, it has the disadvantages of a monolithic application. The modern trend is towards microservices and that's the reason why we will be discussing that in this session. Even though that is there, still the default uh, standard of architecture for every new application is still the monolith. That's the safe way because microservices architecture, because it's distributed, it may not be a good fit for all kinds of uh, business application. It depends upon the requirements of the business domain and how it's wants to scale, how much team members are involved in it. Lot of different factors contribute to the selection of microservices. So it's not like a one-way one um, solution to take, okay, for a new application, take this microservices architecture and do with that. That's not the case. Similar to every other architecture, there will should have a lot of considerations and all because it's... Uh, to have a microservice architecture in place there needs specialized effort from the architects to decide the different areas that we can split the application to different business domains, uh, different components and how these will be interacting with all and the latency and all and the monitoring orchestration of these things are all becomes really challenging for the both the developer as well as for the architects. So. A careful consideration should be there in selecting the microservice. That all I hope we discussed in the earlier episode. If you are interested in listening that episode, feel free to have a look at uh, those as well. Continuing from the previous episode, we will be uh, having a quick recap of uh, what is a layered architecture or an entire architecture. And from there, we can start understanding more about the microservice architecture in more detail. Some of my friends asked me, uh, like uh, the layered architecture, they are working, isn't it also a kind of a microservice architecture? The answer is no, because here in the layered architecture, the partition is based on technical domain. If your application code base has different technologies associated with it. Here the main focus in layered architecture is actually the technical uh technologies that your application are actually used. Your application, say for example, if it's a web application, your application may have a frontend which is developed using JavaScript or some other JavaScript libraries or framework like React. Might be it have a server-side component which uh, has this uh, business related things in place and also there will be a database that will be interacting and some form of database related code will be there your application has these different areas and in the case of layered architecture you will be splitting your application based on the technology so you will be ideally at a minimum have three different layers on for presentation layer for the ui then for the server side that's the business area where core business logic remains and then the uh, database layer where the persistent part is handled and if you look at this uh, we can uh, go a bit more detail into the layer architecture if you look at a more detail into this form of architecture you can see that actually uh, this architecture closely mirrors that to the organization structure and that's the reason why Onset was very popular. Because your organization have different specialists working in each of these technologies, like the database or server side or front end. And if you split your application based on these different technical areas, it will be easy to give ownership for each teams to look on these different individual area. And that will be fine when it comes to maintaining the application but the problem happens is like if there is a simple change required in one area it requires coordination from other areas as well and if you know uh, uh, working in an organization with a different teams apart coordination is required and there in the layered architecture it's actually results in a kind of an organization silos where uh, one specialized team that is focused on database will be f- focusing on that particular area only and uh, whenever there is a change required in the front end that needs to be communicated to the back end and vice versa. So that results in a lot of coupling. There will be a tight coupling between these different layers and also the cohesion or the uh, way by which the code groups. Grouping is actually there but it is actually based on purely technical Uh, domain and not based on the business domain the everyone who is uh, having ownership of these different areas will be working to complete their activity so this kind of architecture in this layered architecture uh, employees are working to meet the uh, their particular area in silos and the mainly they are focusing on the activity they are doing And it requires extra coordination as I said earlier. And also the customer quality or the outcome is not considered here. Because from the customer point of view, they want some feature there. But these individual teams are focusing on their own area. So finally, to have a a good outcome, it requires the support of all the different teams. That will be challenging. Then evolved another form of team called the outcome-oriented team. This can also be known as the feature-based team, where instead of each uh, team owns a specified area of software, they want to deliver a feature. So this is the uh, kind of approach of a poly-skilled team where multiple specialists who have experience working with the different areas, like the database, uh, server-side <coughs> developers and the front-end developers, all comes together into a single team like a modular team and then uh, they will try to deliver a feature and the entire team owns that feature so the idea here is to reduce the ticketing system at all like the in like as in the previous case in with the layered architecture if it's uh, owned by a separate uh, individual team uh, other teams needs to contact them or to raise support tickets to for their help to do something or something like that but in this case of feature based team uh, that individual team will have a combination of people from different areas like the database specialist and all database the server side and frontend and all and that way uh, they can together as a team they can fo- f- they can focus on the delivery of a feature instead of depending on other teams for that activities So that's the uh, evolution um, coming up in software architecture from the layered to the feature outcome oriented team. And from there, actually, um, another form of architecture evolved. So this is also uh, known as actually a stream aligned teams. This feature based team is also known as stream aligned team, where they are focused on the a particular feature or the valuable stream of work of their product. For example, if there is a um, uh, purchase uh, area that they needs to deliver in their application, uh, a set of teams, like a a poly skilled team uh, mem- team members can uh, coordinate that activities and deliver the feature to the customer. That's the that's called the stream aligned team and similarly if there is a stock management needs to uh, develop in an application and needs to deliver, then a set of teams can work on that area, stock management area and they can deliver the features. That way the silo concept can be broken down and can be moved into a stream aligned team. But still if you are looking on this stream aligned team, if you look at the architecture, underneath architecture where they are working on, that is still a kind of an architecture called the layered approach. So the organization team structure has evolved from layered, ba- layering, layered based specialist team to the feature based team. Still, the underlying uh, code splitting uh, where they are working on is actually based on technical. So that node won't sync properly. And that's the reason why some other form of architecture splitting is required. And that's how the microservice architecture came into uh, more popularity. Uh, for the stream-based development, this microservice architecture would be definitely helpful. Uh, the service-oriented architecture is also helpful for that. But there is a difference. Uh, as in the case of a service-oriented architecture, uh, there are no Such considerations like a individual database or an individual uh, deployment Um, in uh, individual deployment should be there as in the case of a microservice. So, there is a difference, there is a line of difference between the service oriented architecture and with that of the microservice architecture. In microservice architecture, uh, it should have a modular, uh, it should be a modular service. With its, which should stand independently, independently, it is developed in, in independently and uh, tested independently, and also deployed in isolation without affecting the other components. It should have a dedicated database for that particular microservice, whereas in the case of a service-oriented architecture, these things are not there, or these things are not mandatory. So that's the core difference with a microservice as well as a service-based architecture. So we in this episode will be focusing more on the microservice architecture in more detail because that's the more uh, app, accurate architecture best aligned for a stream-based development. Like the stream-based team will have a group of different peoples working in together. Like a skill, uh, like a group of poorly skilled people uh, with uh, their own expertise, and for them uh, to having an ownership of a single business domain in the application will be helpful. So, an architecture that meets that kind of development will be helpful for them, and microservice architecture will be the best fit for them the service oriented architecture as we discussed has some different characteristics like uh, they share database and individual, individual deployment is not a concern that is not best fit for a stream aligned team at all because stream aligned teams needs to work in isolation independently and they need to deliver without affecting the other area that's the reason why microservice would be the best more app uh, more apt service for them to deliver the feature they can also work on uh, the streamline teams can also work on service based architectures but this one will be the better choice for them but uh, even though that is still the case like uh, the experts say like uh, sam newman says the default standard for every new application should be the monolithic application or some other kind of architecture because microservice has its complexity as we discussed earlier so we cannot push forward microservice architecture to every application it depends upon the number of teams that we have the uh, amount of scalability that we need for an application and considering all those factors only we can have microservice architecture in place when, when it comes to a distributed architecture like a microservice architecture there will be more challenge in orchestrating these things, coordinating these things, error handling the network to handle the network delay latency and all. So specialized architectural considerations are required and that brings more complexity. That's the reason why uh, many experts say that as you are Progressing with this microservice architecture implementation, you would be encountering lot of lot of problems. So it's not a de facto standard for a very new application. That is the thing you need to consider. Because the um, Kubernetes and the serverless architecture are popular these days, many would be thinking about, okay, when we start developing an application, let's take a microservice architecture and start like that. It no, should not be the case. There should be a proper analysis and if it has a scope of uh, expandability and if there are more team members involved in that kind of application development, then microservice will be a good fit for them. Otherwise, it would be an overkill. Then the next area we are going to discuss is to understand how we split the code. We are focusing on split splitting the code then later in this episode we will be discussing on some data uh, based splitting as well so initially we can focus on the code split so think of a monolithic application where all your entire code resides in a single code base you have no splitting at all everything lies within a single code base with no splitting based on technical or anything at all from there you need to extract the individual area and move that each into a microservice so how would we you be doing that for that you need to done you need to understand about the domain driven design at least a bit of familiarity with that domain driven design will be helpful there are lot of books which features this particular technology in more detail Uh, this are uh, not technology this domain driven design in more detail Uh, It actually became popular with one of the book by Eric Evans called Domain Driven Design. There is another book also there called the Domain Driven Design Distilled which which has the core concepts of Domain Driven Design to get you an idea. So I will be uh, giving you a quick overview in brief about the Domain Driven Design. It's actually a kind of modeling the real world problem in software. So, if you think about software, there are different persons involved in developing the software like the stakeholders, customers on one side and on the other side, there will be the developers. So, these two sets of people use different languages. The customers may be using something that is related to their business domain, something like payment, uh, stock or something while at the same case for the developer it might be something like a insert or something or added to database or something like that so this technical this these language differences between these two people will be a problem when the software evolves it will be difficult to communicate these ideas into the developers and vice versa so there involves a set of people in between that that's the business analyst who have been transforming the the language of the customers to language of the what the developer understands still there will be difficulty in understanding that so that's the area where uh, they will be uh, this uh, domain driven design comes into play here the developer tries to understand the software in terms of business domain so they will be giving more accurate names based on the business domains for which they are developing the application in that way that closely uh, uh, closely aligns to the language of the customer so in domain driven design take for an example of a uh, shopping website like amazon there will be having different uh, key areas that can be identified within that application so the whole application of amazon like shopping website can be considered of as a business domain and there will inside that there will be different uh, subdomains like if you think about uh, the whole application you you will if, if you closely analyze you can have a set of different entities like customer then there will be something like uh, products uh, shopping carts, then feedback sections then sales then warehouse many payments cards recommendations then um, offers different 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 areas you can identify so in domain driven design initially the software architect or the developers who are involved in developing the application microservice based on domain driven design first understand these different areas that are related to the particular customer domain then they can group these um, different objects into aggregates. So aggregates is the concept where uh, these different entities that we identified within the business are uh, treated as one unit for the purpose of data changes that is the explanation given by eric Evans in his book domain driven design he mentioned like the aggregates are as a kind of a cluster of associated objects that can be treated as a unit for the purpose of data changes so the idea why aggregates are important here is that through the aggregates we can understand the bounded context or the areas where uh, areas in the business domain that can be used as a fit for a single microservice component so initially once again i will be explained so initially the architect or the developer will try to understand the business requirements totally so there would be an exercise called the event storming there are other ways also by which you can understand the context of the business. You can have a discussion with the business owner, uh, or stakeholders and everyone who is concerned with that business and then have a full idea of the different, uh, of the full business domain and you you then go, uh, tries to identify the key areas of that business domains like the key areas like we understood re- related to that shopping website Amazon, we have the payment area there there then there will be a ticket area there and different entities that are associated with the um, with entirely that software will be collecting that so we are not focusing anything about how they are related with each other or anything at this stage just we identify who all entities are involved in that business domain the idea is to get a picture of the business domain from the customer perspective or the stakeholder perspective and then uh, then converting we are trying to convert that into our uh, technical um, uh, area so uh, the first we understand the uh, business domain then the key elements of whoever that is concerned with the business so if you think about amazon there will be a customer there there will be uh, different items will be there then the shopping uh, Uh, shopping area will be there then there will be suppliers will be there then will there be payments will be there then the invoice will be there then the notification that needs to be sent to the customer will be there then the payment related service like uh, some uh, form of external bank or something uh, payment service will be there so everything that is related to that business domain are collected and that are uh, that are arranged as a board in if it is in the case of a event storming it's arranged in the okay, uh, as a small small sticky notes and we identified the entire area then the next is like we will uh, these all different uh, um, sticky notes uh, based entities are a kind of um, individual ones and we then uh, uh, try to treat them as one unit we group some of these entities into one unit for the purpose of data changes. So, that is what the Eric Evans mentioned in his book, Domain Driven Design. A cluster of associated objects that will be identified from these and then it will be uh, grouped together which is called the aggregates. And from the aggregates we can identify, uh, from the aggregates grouped together, we can identify a relation between each of them and we can understand the key entities there like uh, when there is an event that can happen uh, all the different underlying uh, aggregates or entities are affected by that and that way we can identify a context there so if you uh, understand closely uh, these different entities these aggregates and all we can form out a kind of a context from all these different areas. like we can have a context like a payment context, warehouse context, this sales context, customer context and everything we can form out of that and then these bounded context is actually what we are uh, trying to convert that into microservices. So instead of the technical grouping as we discussed in the case of layered architecture, here the focus is grouping by business domain. So each microservice component will be responsible for owning one particular context of a business domain and that will be the main responsibility and the team who own that microservice, their responsibility is to best ensure the outcome of that microservice component. Keep in mind that there would be different components, uh, modular components in microservice architecture. Uh, Each owned by a separate individual team, each has its own database but same time they will be communicating with each other as well. In the case of shopping, whenever some some components, say for example an order component which takes the order from the customer will be contacting the payment uh, microservice for doing payment and all. So these way uh, there will be different components but they will be contacting via network so these uh, these are not there in a single process as there are, as that of a microservice these will be separate code bases separate team will be working on that and languages can also be separate but there will be a generic way by which they can communicate with each other the communication mechanism can be have through http or it can also be can through the grpc Uh, depending upon the context which is preferable for that and there will be also security considerations also in place because when one microservice contact with the other it needs to ensure that only the authorized microservices contact allowed to contact with other microservice so there will be security considerations as well security considerations we will be discussing on in a further episode Uh, Here we are trying to identify an overview of the microservice architecture in more detail. So this way uh, when we are creating the microservice through the identifying these entities these aggregates and then through the bounded context and then finally the microservice we are actually uh, trying to form out a modular component with data encapsulation in place. We are only exposing from that service to other service or those outside it only the required elements that other service bonds and we hide all the implementation detail inside that that uh, microservice. Take for example if it is a support microservice which is part of the Amazon website. this support service will be exposing only the record apis that are required for creating the support and also uh, something like a notification or something and all the other details the implementation details are there inside this supports my service and that will be known only to that team who owns that service that is the key definition here here there is no concept of a shared database so that service that respective service and its owners only have an idea of what uh, how it is actually implemented this will be beneficial for the software architecture because the higher you have cohesion or the related areas grouped together and the less coupling you have with other components here the less coupling how it happens is like you are only exposing through an api only the required elements that other components want and that way you can have a control over what the uh, how the other components are getting affected so that means if you properly identified a bounded context and the uh, uh, and the different areas and the related areas and wrapped that it into a microservice component You can have a silo like an implementation detail inside that microservice. It's not accurately silo. It's like an encapsulation. The accurate theme is not silo because silo is uh, a bit uh, occurred in case of an organization context. So mostly something like an uh, internal uh, implementation hiding or something like that you can call. And that is actually beneficial for other parts of the application because you can can you can change it whatever way you like the only requirement is like whatever you are exposed to the outside area that that should be should not be affected so whatever you are exposing to the other areas you are communicating to the other teams but internal implementation is within yourselves Uh, that way you can select the best one you like you can uh have the best uh suitable technology that your team prefer for developing that website and without uh, thinking anything about the other components at all you can test it that independently as well and you can deploy it thus independent deployability is the key element in microservice architecture that is what sam describes in his books sam newman describes in books like you can understand everything about microservice architecture and all things and you can develop an application but ask yourself the question whether your software is capable of deploying independently without affecting the other parts of application that is the key challenge with uh, the uh, key um, characteristics that distinguish whether your microservice architecture or implementation has become proper if you are deploying an application and at that time you need to contact the other team like okay um, uh, we are deploying this you need to make some changes in your side or something then that means the dependency is still there and the code splitting is not proper so if there is a dependency of for one microservice with another one that indicates that some form of coupling is still there and you need to identify that extract it sometimes there might be some form of shared um, data that exists between these two different components and you need to coordinate with these two uh, different teams to use that but uh, sam described in his book as it's an kind of an anti pattern if you have shared codes that is used by two microservices it will be better to copy it and move it to your own because that way you don't have a dependency with other service at all. You can have your own libraries but make sure that you own that particular library and won't allow other teams to change that. So somehow the idea of uh, uh, that dry pattern, don't repeat yourself pattern, So, with that context in mind, they ideally try to create a library for something and that library uh, will be encouraged to reuse by all the different other teams members. So, that's an anti-pattern in this case of microservice architecture. What happens is that when you create a library like that, it actually creates a kind of a shared responsibility between two different teams. The ownership will be harder to identify which team owns that a shared library this way uh, it will be a challenge and if someone is making some change it will affect the other part of application so better to have something uh, something a uh, line of boundary access to there so that uh, you own or the your um, application owns entirely everything and you copy that all the related codes to your microservice and that way expose only that api and other parts are completely Uh, encapsulated or hidden for others they have no need to know about anything related to that except the API you are exposing that's the way uh, you should be forming the microservice architecture so these are just an overview we will be continuing from here a bit more Um, so we can let's move into other areas as well we have understood microservices and overview Uh, Hope you also understand some of the key characteristics of microservices. Now let's have a look at some of the challenges that are associated with microservice. One thing is like as you can see here in microservice, the uh, code is actually splitted based on business domain and it's actually distributed across. That means your simple application instead of a single code base as in the case of a modu- monolith or even um, as, uh, or, or for a modular monolith. Modular monolith means a single process ha- have multiple services uh, and that uh, can be split into different processes. Even when comparing those two type of architecture, uh, the monolith or modular monolith or even that service oriented architecture, What it differentiates in this case, in the case of a microservice architecture is, here you can see a kind of a distributed architecture with individual components splitted across and communicating through network. That means the testing side, it's a bit challenging. We are now looking on some of the challenges. It's actually not a, a... the demerits actually it's kind of a complexity that is more associated with microservice This Complexities if you tackled will be having its reward. But this would be an overkill for a trivial application like a POC or some kind of more modular application. It's a smaller application with its team members of few. This will be an overkill. One thing that you could consider when developing whether to choose a microservice architecture is best fit for a good uh, for your new application or not, especially if you are in a POC stage is to analyze the business domain in more detail, try to get more details about the business domain and like as we discussed earlier, try to find out the entities, aggregates, how many bounded context you can place and if you feel that Microservice architecture would be a best fit for that case. You can have a discussion with other team members as well. Then, implementing that would be helpful. And if you are working on a POC, at, after understanding this, and if you feel microservice is cho- is a good choice, then it's definitely t- w- worth to start the POC with that as well. Like this is uh, mentioned by one of my friend John, like, if you are working on a poc in reality that poc is going to deploy uh, and will be handed over to the respective teams if it is a success so if you start off with a kind of a monolith or some form of uh, wrong architecture and if you uh, if you move if you hand over that to another team where there is a scope for a microservice architecture, from their part it would be difficult to further convert that to a microservice architecture. I mean at the initial stage. Uh, even though St- Sam Newman mentions that modular monolith for the mod- monolith or some f- form of trivial architecture is best fit for a new application. Still, if you feel that after analyzing the business domain and if it is has scope, then... Considering microservice would be good. If you feel if you have more team members and there is a more scope for uh, scalability and evolution of that software then that would be good. To have a POC itself also started in that form of architecture because whatever you are handed over to the next team that will be the one next team considering. Okay let's uh, again continue on the uh, challenges. Cross testing. the final testing of the software would be challenging because here the components are splitted apart and more effort is required for splitting so you can have a mock and test these different 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 microservice component but still it would be challenging and not easy as in the case of a monolith application so that's one reason why I think once Sam uh, shared in one of his Sessions Like um, one of the a company called Honest Update, they have shared a Twitter status that we replaced our monolith with microservices so that every outage could be more like a murder mystery. So if you properly understand that word they shared, that sentence they shared. You can have a um, understanding that it will be difficult to troubleshoot what is happened behind the cases when, when a microservice fails because each has its own database, each has its own state, and you need to coordinate that microservice with other microservices to, un- to get a full picture of what is actually happening behind the scene. So there are different ways to tackle this. One is to have a log, proper log aggregation in place like something like an application insights or cloud trail which captures every detail of different services and a coordinated logging also would be helpful so that you you can understand as to what events has caused what different outputs from different microservices and that way you can have a coordinated custom dimension from different microservices, which would be helpful to understand what's happened behind the scene. That's the reason also why Sam mentioned in most of the, his books, like <coughs> to have a log aggregation initially is a good prerequisite before starting moving to microservices, whether it's a new microservice or you are mo- migrating an existing monolith to a microservice it would be better to have a log aggregation in place in advance otherwise it would be difficult for you to trouble uh, understand what's happening behind the scene and log aggregation is particularly helpful for uh, understanding how a microservice is working and all many uh, it's it's one of the problem that many will prefer to move a monolith, uh, monolith application to a microservice without a logging, proper logging in place. And they think, okay, logging can be an, can be considered as an afterthought, but uh, it would become a problem, especially even in the initial stages. It would be difficult to troubleshoot as to what is going on behind the scene. And another thing uh, we haven't yet discussed that is the deployability area. Like uh, we are ideally deploying these microservices to different containers for the purpose of uh, cost-effectivity and other uh, 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 orchestration-related benefits. We will be ideally deploying to containers. So, containers... The concept of containers is like it can be created and destroyed at any stage and automatically the orchestration systems like the Kubernetes will automatically spin up a new container instance. So that means you won't have a physical log there in reality. Even if you have something, you can write to a disk file there and you can... uh, log into that container and you can have a view of what is written there still it exists only for a period of time for that reason a log aggregation mechanism like application insights or cloud trial would be required in advance so that every events that or every logs that is written into the uh, from the container will be captured and it will be it can be aggregated to a common location then that would be helpful for you to troubleshoot relying on a physical log is not effective for a microservice application because you won't be deploying a microservice instance to a VM or a physical machine or uh, most of the cases you will be deploying that only for a container because that's, that's more cost effective and also uh, an, another concern that uh, troubles with this microservice architecture is there are a lot of components microservice components you will be having and you need resilience in most of the case like uh, if one microservice fails what will happen? Uh, sometimes if, uh, you, if you, uh, if one microservice is contacting other microservice for some data and if, what if that microservice goes down? Usually you need some resiliency in that place. You will be having multiple instance for each microservice, which is, which is possible in this cloud era. Providers like Azure and AWS can have the provision and this container, uh, On-demand container services like AKS, Azure Kubernetes services or uh, Amazon's Elastic Kubernetes services will be helpful also in that cases. But it's not free actually. Uh, It will be having a cost associated with it. Then uh, that is also a problem when it comes to resiliency. Then another one area that you need to consider is uh, security issues. Because these microservices are independently deployed, each having its own component and each needs to contact also each other. So, there must be a security in place and there is a scope for a attack on a larger surface area. You need to aware of like that. And you need to constantly monitor each service and you need to patch and protect that and all. These are all some of the problem and also the distributed transactions also cause problem. Like everything is happening through network. We expect that okay network is there while testing. But things goes differently when it goes to live. Maybe network gets delayed or network bandwidth gets reduced and it affects the communication between each component. That is also a possibility. So resiliency must be there. Whenever a microservice is trying to contact other microservice, if that uh, the target microservice is down for some reason, uh, it should handle that situation appropriately. Either that should be um, that should uh, get retried a bit later, or otherwise you can implement a uh, kind of an asynchronous pattern in between by implementing something like a a queue or a topic in between. There are a few on-demand services from Azure and AWS which facilitate those things like the Azure uh, service bus as well as in the case of Amazon, there is a simple queue service which you can use in between those uh, different, uh, be- between the microservices to make it more asynchronous so that in case if one microservice fails, uh, it can start at a later time with the information there in the queue and that way resiliency will be there. Also, there are a lot of other issues that you need to consider, all the issues that are associated with the distributed transactions. You can have a um, search in Google like the disadvantages of having a distributed architecture and you will get a lot of details there. Uh, Most of them are connected with the network. So all those things can happen in the case of this uh, microservice architecture as well. There is a possibility. You need to consider all that while developing microservice architecture. Second is like the eventual consistency. Like um, there are data uh, resides in different components so each one ideally have a different database each microsoft ideally have a different database there are people who advocate that okay a shared can be shared database can be used with a microservice but actually that is more a kind of a either a service oriented architecture or a kind of a modular monolith and it's actually not microservice that's one of the key uh, thing you need to understand microservice architecture which we have its own database for each different component that means data resides in multiple area after after some point of time in this episode we will be discussing on the data issues that can arise we will have a quick look at those things as well for now you just understand that okay data will be residing in multiple area so if there is a order service it will have its own database and data will be uh, order related Related data will be there and another uh, one service like something like a customer service or something it has its own data also associated there so data might be there in multiple area and also uh, just like we discussed earlier the case of a resiliency where you need to have different instances there so Data needs to replicate across d- these different and, and, uh, instances. Many of those issues will be handled automatically by the cloud if you are in cloud. But still that uh, that issue of eventual consistency is there. Uh, if a data is there in a primary database and whether it's replicated to a read replica uh, properly, uh, some time will take. And eventual consistency is like if you are committing something to a main primary database and it needs to replicate to uh, sub databases that are associated with that instance uh, it will take some time to uh, um, replicate all those things it will happen within the seconds but still the delay is there so that's called eventual consistency you can have a search of that and understand more about eventual consistency that issue also can happen in the Uh, Uh, case of a microservice. So for the uh, this main reason if your application is intended to be to a smaller uh, group of audience or it's involves a fewer developers then this kind of architecture is not good for you then Then another thing I like to point out here is earlier in this episode we thought about the domain-driven design and considering aggregates and bounded contexts and we identified that each bounded context or a group of uh, related aggregates can be moved into a single uh, modular microservice. But keep in mind that as you progress with the microservice development you can identify more areas that is means even within a bounded context you can uh, identify multiple uh, aggregates which can be moved it into its own uh, microservice as well for example if there is a service like for uh, say for example a payment service and it will be having two different areas like uh, the main payments and then the notification area then you could have the notification itself moved to a different microservice with its own api and all so that if in case the payment service want to uh, send a notification then it can contact the notification service and that way it can send the more modular you can have the more possibility for you to deploy it individually so the advantage here it brings is like if you want to change the notification service for some reason you can have it and deploy without affecting the other area. So there's a possibility that you can bring up modular that's the reason why uh, we are now going to discuss about migrating existing applications to uh, more specifically the more monolith or modular applications modular monolith applications to microservices. So, we will start by understanding one particular phrase from Martin Fowler who says that if you do a big bang rewrite, the only thing you are certain of is a big bang. That means if you try to move a modular or monolith to a microservice with everything splitted and given, given to different teams and to start development. That will end up in a disaster. So what instead he is suggesting is to move functionality to microservice each part at a time. That way you uh, you can get some learning from it and you can move the other parts. So one thing you can do is to understand the entire business domain related to that microservice that uh, sorry not microservice that modular application. Once you understand everything uh, uh, keep in mind that this modular existing modular monolith if it's a legacy application it may not be written with this uh, microservice or this domain driven design in consideration so you need to understand that from a customer perspective identify the business areas and you need to identify the entities then break up it apart into aggregates and then finally uh, identify the bounded context. There is a series of practices which you can use. I discussed uh, two of them in the earlier episode. Just a brief. Uh, that's one is event storming. Another one is the seed process. Uh, event storming is one thing uh, that we discussed in this episode as well at the initial stage. There will be more Uh, more uh, things to understand related to that but mainly the uh, event storming is to identify the events that are related to a business domain and we are trying to as a software developer or architect we are trying to understand the business domain from the perspective of a developer that way we understand the business domain and then we will be mapping those into practice so we identify the different area So, once you, uh, in the case of the uh, existing monolith application, you can have an understanding of its business area and then identify the business context, uh, the uh, bounded context and all. Then, analyze what effect or what benefit you will get from converting this to a microservice. Some of the benefits that you achieve is scalability and independent deployability you can have more uh, scope for scalability and more scope for individually deploying and without affecting other part of the application maybe uh, your application will have a business value but your you feel that okay if i improve the payment area of my application it will have a more uh, It will have a more benefit for my application. Then what you can do is you can try to focus on that payment area and extract that bounded context and move that into a microservice. Moving uh, that to a microservice, you you can follow a pattern called a Strangular fic Pattern. It's actually a way by which you are creating a new system, a new modular microservice In this case, the payment microservice around your existing monolith application. So, you have the support of the existing monolith application and you are creating a new system, modular monolith, modular microservice uh, with um, side by side of that existing application. And what you are going to do, think about is this new system, actually it doesn't need to replace the full uh, the full old system at all. What you are trying to achieve is you are actually creating a new system for a particular business area like the payment and you are checking whether that new modular service is actually satisfying our requirements or not. So your customers will be contacting your application. If it's a web, case of a web application, or some whatever form of application, they will be conducting your main monolithic application. What you do at that stage is, in this case of Strangular thick pattern, you will be intercepting the calls to the system, uh, your modular system, and if you are un- if you are identifying that okay particular area of your application. payment functionality uh, that your customer wanted you can divert your calls to the new microservice module module you developed that way you are intercepting the basic idea is intercepting calls from the older system and redirecting to the new system and uh, this, this way diverting we are diverting the calls and we are invoking the functionality on the new system That is why two two things exist side by side like the on modular system as well as that um, new uh, microservice system, Um, on monolith system, uh, existing monolith as well as the microservice architecture. So, you can have different ways to intercept this, ideally using an HTTP proxy or some form of API gateway that you can uh, put it in front of your existing monolith and that way you can redirect your traffic to the new microservice which you developed the idea is intercepting before the traffic goes to the existing monolith and you will be redirecting that to the uh, microservice which you are developing this way you can initially develop a small microservice that would be an extraction from your existing monolith and then as you learn and as you feel that that service has been that microservice has been successfully deployed to the uh, customer and if, if you feel it's working then you can redirect the entire calls to that service in this way the both the code exists like the existing existing monolith code exists as well as the new one exists but most of the at the success stage most of the traffic goes to the microservice only and at that point you can work on the next set of services. So this way incrementally you are actually rolling out or converting your existing monolith to the microservice architecture. This will be the suggested way because it won't affect anything. So deploying once you feel that everything is working properly with the new microservice uh, and everything has been extracted and converted to the new different different modular service from your existing monolith application then you can um, <coughs> finally um, remove the existing monolith application everything will be served by your individual modular monolith component so this is very uh, good for uh, migrating existing monolith to microservices because if anything wrong happens you can easily roll back your functionality to the monolith so because of this it's advisable to keep the monolith for some more time even if the new microservice is working effectively because at a customer side or live at any time uh, something can wrong can happen and we can easily revert back so that's one approach so this will be beneficial for you to move. Then uh, there are other areas like uh, here we, what we have done is like a strang- in strangular fit pattern we identified the calls to that service, uh, to our monolith application through an interception and we re- redirect that to something other, uh, something other area like invoice or something that is possible for some of the areas of our application but what about if some something is there inside our application for example if there is a something like a loyalty or something like a rewards that uh, that can happen only when an order taken place or something at that area it's not like uh, that we have intercepted and redirected it's actually the customer needs to contact the main monolith and do some of the uh, uh, some of the interactions there with the existing monolith and then only um, the or the loyalty or reward service can be uh, called upon so at that stage how we are going to do that's a question like uh, Interception is possible before the application but this if uh, suppose if the customer wants to interact with the existing monolith and then want to do a redirect after uh, did some interaction. So how that's going to happen in that case what you can do is to uh, create some form of abstraction inside your existing code. Maybe uh, the existing code can keep in that place but you can slowly create a new area inside your application uh, like a kind of an abstraction where uh, say for example the loyalty of reward service where you can create an abstraction for that loyalty or reward service mainly if it's a new application uh, new programming language like a .NET or java you can use interfaces for that purpose and that way you can create a new um, interface for or abstraction for that new service the point here we are doing this abstraction is like we will be switching that to a new code like uh, a kind of a more microservice oriented code so we'll be uh, coding the microservice um, module you will be ideally creating a new loyalty or rewards microservice and you will be calling that microservice from that abstraction there to, to work this effectively uh, you need to have an abstraction in place in advance So this is mostly uh, this is also related to the feature toggle like we have our existing code and we also have an abstraction and we will add a feature toggle feature toggle is the property by which you will be uh, deploying your uh, code and uh, to the live uh, and your customer will be having your application with some codes but still they are not actually released to the customer. So, here we are splitting out deployment and release into two different things. So, deploy, ideally when we say deployment, we think of releasing a software to customer. But here, we will be thinking a bit more. Like, we will be thinking about deploying and releasing separately. So, we will be deploying the code which has both the existing code as well as the new abstractions. Which a feature toggle there. And we will be deploying that to the customer. And once the customer uh, started using that we can for at least for some customers we can feature toggle we can set the feature toggle to one and that means instead of the code existing code inside that monolith it will be calling that new microservice code and we can ensure that that will be working in proper the one prerequisite for this kind of implementation this is called an a kind of an abstraction uh, pattern. Um, this it, it it is also related to feature toggle. To make this work, you should have an abstraction in your code. Like you can have the feature toggle enabled or set at one place, and the entire abstraction is there. Then it will. Uh, be beneficial for you or easy for you as an application developer to uh, implement this otherwise if you are uh, for example if your notification code resides or loyalty code resides in multiple areas of your application um, it will be difficult to implement this feature toggle so if that is the case with your existing monolith application that can happen because these monoliths were created many days ago and there is a possibility that there won't be any standards or anything like that so abstraction won't be there if that is the case then ideally you should be uh, identifying the different areas uh, that you want to abstract and bring it under a common abstraction and then implement the feature target from there so these are two different patterns that uh, suggested by the experts like uh, sam newman uh, so, these mo- more details about this are mentioned in his book, uh, the mo- monolith to microservices, where he uh, defined the uh, k- way by which we can extract a abstraction from inside a monolith and uh, divert it to a new notification service. So, we discussed two different patterns here. One is triangular thick pattern, and second one is like the uh, abstraction, branch by abstraction Practice. So, in the branch by abstraction pane, we are creating a abstraction point inside our code to hide the actual ongoing development. We'll be using a feature toggle to switch to a new, no, new uh, modular monolith. Uh, sorry, uh, mo, uh, to a new microservice from the monolith itself. And once we are confident with our new microservice, we will be switching through the through the feature toggle, through the abstraction to the new microservice instead of the current implementation. That way we can switch the internal part of application as well. So this way we can migrate both the uh, the outside uh, uh, components as well as the inside areas. Outside areas you will be actually uh, intercepting using the some form of uh, um, proxy or through the API gateway and then redirecting the customer accordingly. Otherwise, internally, you are using an abstraction. So, uh, I hope this is clear for you to understand these things. And um, if you are working with existing code, there is a nice book on this topic called Robert C. Martins, uh, Working Effectively with the Legacy Code. Uh, so that's by Michael C. Feather. So, and it's published by Robert C. Martin series. Uh, the book name is working effectively with the legacy code. So it will be having a to look on that bo- book as well so that you will get some ideas about these different, uh, a- different ways by which we can extract a microservice. So feature toggle is a good thing to consider here. Uh, so I will uh, share you a definition. Which is uh, defined by the in one of his blog by Pete Hodson. He is an independent software delivery consultant. So he says like a feature toggles so or we also uh, called it as feature flags, is a powerful technique allowing teams to modify system behavior without changing the existing code. He further defines that. They fall into various usage categories and it's important to take that categorization into account when implementing and managing toggles. Toggles actually introduce complexity. We can keep that complexity in check by using smart toggle implementation practices and appropriate tools to manage our toggle configuration. But we should also aim to constrain the number of toggles in our system. So the last point is like, if your codebase has codes splitted for a particular feature in multiple areas mainly if it's an old monolith you need to abstract that into a single or do some form of refactoring initially to bring that everything into a single area and then implement the feature toggle otherwise feature toggle implementation at various stages using a if-else block will be challenging for you if it's in a single area uh, it would be a bit uh, it's a Uh, it's a win situation then so far we have been discussing about the ways by which converting existing application monolith application to microservice now we think a bit about the delivery how we are going to deliver the microservice architecture this is also an important things to consider like explained earlier, independent deployability is one key thing which you should consider. Even after developing your application, if you have dependency with other components for deploying, you need to rethink about the way by which your microservices are architected. If you are in a state to deploy it independently, then it would be a big win, and then you can have different ways to deploy it. Ideally, Your microservice architecture would be defined in a pipeline uh, with its build and deployment steps and deployed to some form of managed services like uh, the AWS Elastic Kubernetes Service or AKS Azure Kubernetes Service. Kubernetes is an orchestration platform where it will automatically handle everything. You create a microservice, you uh, wrap it as a container and you will be you will be sending that to or uh, mentioning that to the uh, managed service which you are using like the Kubernetes and rest of the things that will be automatically handled by the that Kubernetes platform. One good thing that you are deploying this way is that Kubernetes will be deploying spinning up the uh, record instances as you configured and also in case if something error happens, Kubernetes will automatically heal that uh, instances and relaunch a different one. So everything will be transparent, uh, uh, it will be uh, managed by the service itself and you don't need to bother anything about the different instances creation and all. Only thing you need to be aware of is like your application should run. Uh, inspect of the instances it's creating and also the log handling, like uh, aggregating logs to a common location, using some form of managed services like Azure App Insights or CloudTrail will also be required. Otherwise, difficulty to uh, it's difficult to pinpoint exactly what's happened. Next, we will be discussing on different forms of deployment strategies. Parallel run is one strategy. Just like which we discussed earlier, when we extracting a part of monolith to a microservice, we can have it run parallelly and we can uh, direct a particular portion of users to that uh, area. Similar way, parallel runs are good fit. You can have your existing monolith application and also the created microservice existing exist in parallel for some time to understand and study what's happening whether it's working properly and then once you're confident then you can decommission the existing monolith at all that's one way second way is like a form of a canary or AB testing where you are actually uh, deploying this to only a particular portion of users If you have a say for example 1000 users you will be testing that to a set of users like 10 to 15 users and if you are feeling that it's confidently working there you will be rolling out to other customers as well. That's called the canary mode of deployment. You can search it both the different ways. So these are the different ways of uh, progressive delivery. Progressive delivery means as you develop your feature you are deploying it without affecting other part of the application. So, it's a, if it's a payment-related area, you will be deploying that area of uh, that microservice component. Uh, if you search for progressive develop, uh, deployment, uh, there are different areas. Uh, but what you can search of is like a canary deployment, then parallel runs you can check on uh, to get an understanding. Then A-B testing, blue-green deployment, dark launching, Different uh, different uh, different ways are there. Then another thing is like uh, you need to have a proper monitoring and log mechanism in place especially if you are running an existing um, monolith service as well as payroll service or uh, some form of uh, this um, microservice side by side uh, to see uh, where it's uh, where the customers are targeting to and where from what service it is actually serving. Is it from your existing microservice architecture or is it from the new uh, service you created like the payroll or invoice so you need to understand that so you need to have a proper monitoring and orchestras and logging in place uh, at the time of rollout then the uh, other things you need to consider is like so far we have discussed about the ways by which we splitted the code base Uh, This is also what Sam Newman also recommends like uh, for converting an existing micro monolith to a microservice architecture. uh, You first uh, uh, identify the boundaries based on code. But you need to consider one more thing like the data. So how we will be splitting the data? Uh, Data actually, as we talked about the encapsulation, data for each service is hidden within that microservice itself. So, if it's a shipping database, then uh, shipping microservice, then shipping related data is hidden inside that microservice. Similarly, if there is a returns microservice that is responsible for handling the returns, uh, that related data for returns is hidden inside the microservice boundary. That means each one have a individual database but keep in mind that this return service needs sometimes the data access from some other services like the customer service because it needs to know what it needs to return it also needs to contact with something other like the inventory service as well as shipping service this is uh, I explaining in the case of an Amazon website so think about like if there is a returns uh, microservice which has its own database having its returns related data sometimes it needs to have information from other microservice like my shipping uh, uh, shipping <coughs> microservice or inventory microservice so at those times it can call the other microservice and grab the record data so how uh, it serves the data is also you worth need to consider like we discussed earlier each microservice exposes to other microservice through an API. So either you can have an expose through the API or another way is like if any particular microservice owns a set of data. For example, customer microservice owns everything related to the customer like a customer ID, name, their email and everything. And they will be ideally exposing only some of the relevant information like the customer ID or something externally but sometimes uh, for example while returns uh, the return service needs to know where they want to return so it needs the information of the customer address or something so at that time it can contact the customer service but what if there is no ap or if there is nothing related to uh, um, uh, nothing uh, and if there is no ap that is there uh, to get the information from that service then uh, there is only another way by which uh, can expose these microservice can expose the data that's through a read-only way by which these microservices can uh, present a copy of the data so that the other microservices can interact it directly so that's through a view so that's a kind of a read-only view of the database that they can expose through an interface. So that way, the other microservices can conduct these microservices, uh, in these customer microservices data, without having to go through that microservice itself. So it's like a read-only copy of the data of that microservice which is serving, so that that other uh, that other uh, dependent or, uh, uh, dependent services can read. But if if it is exposed through AP. Then that way it can expose. But uh, if it's through the API, the challenge is like it should con- first contact the first service it should return. So that means there will be a lagging there. So to avoid that, you can, uh, um, <coughs> that individual services can uh, expose a readily view of the data that they can have. Related to this, Sam Newman uh, suggested that there is a concept called view in the databases uh, so he mentioned this in his book uh, building microservices so we we can have a um, we can have a uh, read only view that's the view uh, it's a kind of a f- feature of the data relational databases and if you implement a view read only view then it can have a view of the data your database is exposing so the customer microservice which owns the customer data can have a read-only view of the data exposed to other microservices and that way they can uh, grab the data instead of going through the API of that service. This way they can have uh, the data. Then the other thing that are worth considering when it's related to the database is the sharing of the infrastructure. Naturally when we think about data and having a separate database many would be coming up with a question like having a separate database is costly their license model doesn't allow that but actually uh, they can have a shared db infrastructure where a single infrastructure can share the db and if it's in the case of a cloud there are alternative ways by which they can uh, the um, share the infrastructure shared DB infrastructure and that way they can um, the organization can reduces the amount of DB infrastructure and associated admin cost that means uh, it's uh, actually are in one infrastructure but having its own instances uh, different database instances then also can have a dedicated db infrastructure also that's another option uh, but there is more infrastructure which needs to manage so depending upon the requirements that's required for specific microservice, they can have a shared database infrastructure or a dedicated database infrastructure the one advantage with the dedicated db infrastructure is like uh, the it will read it. Different technologies can be applied. For example, if uh, it's an um, customer service, it can in- include some form of database technologies like NoSQL. Whereas for transactions like uh, um, the financial uh, service or return service or something like that, it can use some other form of database uh, technologies. In this way, different combinations of technology can be used for different microservices if if it's a dedicated infrastructure but the downside is like it will bring more infrastructure and more uh utility more requirements to manage those infrastructure but uh, the, uh, the on the other side can use different technology and also it reduces the contention because if everything is uh, hosted on a single infrastructure it can create a contention if on uh, if one service is using a DB instance because it's a shared data uh, structure database structure then it can uh, content the resources like low uh, can use most of the RAM or CPU and it can affect the other services as well Uh, Related to this point, if the customers, if they are using DB on-premise, then shared DB infrastructure is worth there because they can reduce cost that way. But on the public cloud like Amazon or AWS, uh, sorry, Amazon or Azure or GCP or any other cloud provider, you can have much cheaper options so that isolated db infrastructure or dedicated db infrastructure is one thing you can justify on the public cloud so this way you can have the uh, dedicated uh, 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 infrastructure justifiable in public cloud while it's difficult for that in on-premise because of the cost factor then uh, the information hiding Just like we discussed earlier when it is related to code, we group every related code in one area. In that way more cohesion or grouping of code can be achieved and we will be exposing only the required details through the API to the other areas. We also discussed about the some of the exception cases where some other services needs data directly. In that time we can expose through the read-only way but keep in mind that only that service which owns that database has the rights to modify that data that is super important you need to consider Uh, it's not like even uh, when we think about the earlier example like where the order service needs the customer data i mentioned about having a read-only copy or the read-only view of the customer microservice data to that service uh, other than through the API but that doesn't mean like the order service can directly modify the customer data inside the customer microservice only the customer microservice and its ownership or its uh, associated um, methods only can modify that only through an API code otherwise uh, that way the data will be hidden within that microservice. So the idea here is, if the if an upstream consumer can reach your uh, into your internal implementation, it can break the application. So instead of um, uh, uh, doing that uh, that way, you need to expose it only through the API. And whenever there is a change that is happening in the API. You need to inform the upstream customer or the other microservice which are depending on you to to inform that okay these changes have been taken place. There are different documentation methods that are available. You need to have a good proper uh, documentation and coordination in place. Uh, Ideally, uh, if you are releasing the APIs, you will be keeping an old version as well there so that it won't break the existing customers and you will be releasing only a new version versions on top of that once you're confident that uh, none of your customers are actually using the old API, then you can s- safely decommission that that's the way by which uh, most of the uh, public cloud providers also uh, work on if they are planning to depreciate some of their APIs, they will ideally track that and they will inform the customer in advance uh, through some uh, public uh, document release or through some uh, Email direct email They will inform that they will be moving to a new API. So, in this way, once everything has been switched on, they can move the uh, they can decommission the old API. Similar way, you can follow that in the microservice as well. You can have the new incremental versions upgrade, uh, new APIs, but uh, for some time, keep the existing APIs in place so that it won't affect the existing customers. Then then another thing which uh, we need to consider is the case of a related data like uh, sometimes if we want to have a say for example the top best sellers of this week. If the data resides in two different microservices it would be harder to uh, get the detail from both and then uh, show it to customer that way so one thing can if you join that in the database layer it will be difficult especially if it's inside the microservice so what you can do is like you can create a service in that cases And at the service layer, you can use a join. Like for example, if you are getting the data from two different microservices and if you want to do a join, then grab the entire data from two different microservices and at the service layer, you do a join with some kind of server side technologies and then return that to the presentation or the wherever it is required presentation layer or wherever it required sometimes if it's the data is not real time then you can save that data to a reporting db as well that way you can cache the data and more accurately present the data this is uh, important because we are actually uh, having distributed data across sometimes we need to join the data so if you try to grab data from one microservice and then uh, get data related data from other side, microservice it will be going through like a loop and it will take a lot of time instead of that grab the data from two microservices all at once the required microservice uh, datas and then join that at the service layer and then show it to the user so here uh, there is a pattern called backend framework to frontend is also used it's also called BFF so, this is especially useful when you want to show data from multiple services to a dashboard. So, here what we do is like we will grab all the required data from different, uh, different microservices and through a service layer, we will be aggregating all those and then present that to the dashboard. This way, contention will be reduced in the, uh, that microservice layer. And also, uh, faster data access can be achieved. Otherwise, on microservice will be uh, grabbing data, then it will be calling other microservice and get data. So, as far as possible, uh, whenever there is a require for a join, to um, join the data from two microservices, do it that at the service layer. Also, in the case of uh, the deletion, it will be better to mark the deletions. For example, if you are deleting a customer data and the customer data resides within a customer microservice. So, we are going to delete the data. We are in a situation to delete the customer data and initially what we'll be doing, the better strategy is to mark a status on the customer table that this customer has been deleted or it's not active and you also need to keep in mind that here In microservice architecture the data is distributed across different components right so your customer data and its ID may be residing in multiple areas so what you can do in that case is you can use an asynchronous pattern by which once you delete that data in the main table deletion means not uh, hard delete it's kind of a soft delete where you are actually setting a status there and then you can Mention to an event hub or an event uh, topic like something like uh, this customer data has been deleted. Just understand that you are in the event driven architecture you are actually creating an event and you are event in the sense like you are mentioning like okay a customer data has been deleted. That doesn't means that other services who are interested in or subscribed to this event data or event hub data need to delete like you did on the customer service from the customer service side you actually deleted the data and you mentioned you put that message in a queue or a topic like okay this data has been deleted ideally it would be better to put it in a service bus queue like Azure service bus topic or not queue sorry sorry to correct uh, sorry i'm uh, correcting that mm-hmm. and uh, it's not queue actually it's actually topic so there is a, a pattern called a pub sub pattern so that's the one we were following here when we want to delete something or when we want to disable a customer or something related like that we ideally delete that in the main table set that as some form of kind of a status like not active or something then we will be inserting a new message into a topic like customer ha, uh, with this ID has been deleted. That means all those other components or different microservices who are subscribed to that topic can choose a decision like whether I should uh, delete or what I do with uh, what we do with that data. So it's up to the that microservices uh, so that point you keep in mind so you are just uh, saying like okay uh, we a uh, customer has been uh, deleted by the customer service it's up to the microservice other microservices to do whatever they want we can't force them to use a cascade delete as in the case of a relational database in relational database terminology usually what you do is like you can have Something like a cascade delete where if you delete from the main table, you will be deleting from all the other table. But that will be a problem especially with the case of a shopping website like Amazon where the invoice details and other details are needs to be kept there. So, once you mark the topic that a customer with say for example 101 ID has been deleted might be a finance or invoice service also be subscribed to that message and it got a message like okay this customer has been deleted and for that uh, invoice uh, uh, and for that uh, invoice microservice it need not need to bother anything about this at all so it not need to delete anything from there. Might be it makes some internal state changes like okay this customer has been deleted and some some state updates or something inside that it might be if required that can do. But while at the other time, some of the other related services like the um, what for example recommendation service or something a service if it's using this customer's data then that can be archived or moved it to some other area to. Uh, avoid the data congestion and all. In this way um, these things like a deletion or main events can be appended into or added into an event message and rest of the service interested services can subscribe and act upon as they required. So that's one difference you need to consider when architecting a microservice architecture. Cascading is not possible and also This lock is also not possible. Some might think like, okay, we can have a lock in place. Like when we delete a customer, initially we will check whether any other uh, uh, microservice is using that data. And if it is not currently using, then we will create a lock and then we will delete that from the main customer. So that is not, uh, that brings a lot of additional challenges. So instead of that, better will be to uh, delete that customer. If it's not actually required by any of the other services directly and then uh, they can mark it and then the rest of the services can take decisions based upon. Then uh, when it comes to microservice to uh, make the better performance like we discussed earlier, distributed transaction has its own disadvantages like uh, the network is one of the biggest problem that you can experience. So having a cache in between these microservices will be beneficial. There are different kinds of caches like a server side cache as well as client-side cache. Each one have its own pros and cons. So let's look at some of the benefits that if you are implementing a server-side cache can have. So if it is a, for example, if in the case of a uh, Amazon website, the items or the catalog service can be, can have a server-side cache. So the advantage is like, if it is a server-side cache, the invalidation, like uh, how much time the server cache should be uh, kept upon that can be invalidated easier so if there is a change in the catalog microservice that can be invalidated immediately so that the rest of the microservice got the most up-to-date information from the catalog service and also it's more efficient in terms of memory But uh, the uh, disadvantage is like still the other microservice needs to call this service and get the information. So, there is still a traffic that needs to happen there. So, think about your application and and the ways by which you can implement the cache. Um, So, server-side cache is there. Then, the client-side cache is there. So, client-side cache, there are certain advantages. One biggest advantage is Like, it avoids the network call to the server or other server or other microservice. Uh, And also, uh, this uh, client-side cache is also helpful. For example, if a microservice have a cache in before it actually transmits the data. Uh, Say, for example, if it wants to get some customer data or something, if it is there in the cache, it can get the cache data. ...without actually going through the customer service and if the customer service is down, this cache also serves as a data source where the the customer serve, the customer uh, order service or other service can still work, return service can still work. So that's a benefit. But the uh, disadvantage is like uh, me- more memory is needed and also the invalidation is a bit difficult. Like if uh, the customer data is used from the cache... How we want to uh, keep the cache in that client-side cache is also worth considering because um, if there is a change in the customer data at the customer side, then that needs to get reflected that in the client cache as well. So both of these have its own pros and cons, but one benefit that client cache brings is like the network code can be avoided and still the uh, dependent microservice can work on. Uh, dependency in the sense like only the api level dependency is there it not have any direct implementation level dependency so there's no uh, coupling is very much less than that of a monolithic application so that uh, uh, that's the advantage that cache brings to the um, um microservice architecture so i hope these all give you a good understanding about the microservice architecture in more detail than the earlier episode i have mentioned a lot of uh, things like we started from understanding about the uh, the partition by technology or the layered approach and then we moved into understanding more details about the microservices and how it helps an organization we also learn about the ways by which we can uh, define the service boundaries and then uh, spread the entities, the bounded context and on and can move into a microservice architecture. We also understand the Im- importance of information hiding, then uh, the database considerations and the uh, d- data um, 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 hiding considerations and all and a dedicated database is also we, we have considered and also we have looked at some of the deployment uh, ways as well, so I hope it would give a better picture. And I recommend you to go through the books by Sam Newman, which is one of the there are other books as well, not just Sam Newman's. There are other books related to microservice. But uh, one thing I felt is from while I understand from him, it's give a more better picture of how uh, microservice architecture actually works and how it can be related to the uh, modern way application development so it syncs with some of the ideas that are uh, applied that have mentioned in the domain driven design as well so you can easily implement that Uh, when you look at some of the other books like the other books or other videos or whatever related to microservice it's it's focus on that technical area so there you won't get an exact idea of why this architecture is for Uh, Everyone talks about microservice architecture but very few know about why it is actually used or what's the need for that. So that idea you would get better from reading, going through the two books of Sam Newman. One book is Building Microservices and second one is Monolith to Microservices. So have a look at those. Then another one book you can check out is like uh, um, Microfrontends. That's also a good book so coming uh, so going uh, a bit uh, further from this microservice architecture you can have the option to have individual parts of the front end developed by different teams and it can be deployed independently as well so that's the concept that is used in the some of the websites like uh, Spotify where each part of the uh, website is being served by a different micro component so that kind of architecture is also getting popular it's uh, similar to microservice but a bit advanced Uh, so here when we discussed about the microservice architecture the front end we thought of uh, we actually spiced layered uh, we we sliced sliced the um, architecture the full code base based on business domain It's like a horizontal, where an entire domain from A to Z is covered in a microservice component. So, there in the micro... um, there in that micro... um, uh, uh, frontend um, way, it's a bit different. Like, each uh, area of that frontend is actually divided further and that way development is there. I hope we can cover that in a different episode. There is one more thing I want to mention related to this. Right now we have discussed about the way by which we partition the code based on technical that is layered as well as also uh, based on the uh, domain and also we discussed about the database considerations, uh, data uh, splitting and all. Another area we missed is like how the security aspects related to or the security challenges that are involved when one microservice is contacting with other microservice. What are the security considerations that we can implement? That uh, I hope we can Im- uh, covered in a different episode. With that, I wrapping up this episode. Thanks everyone for listening this episode. Have a great day. Please uh, check up my check my meetup group coding talks cloud computing as well as my YouTube channel. So there will be sessions upcoming. So thank you, thank you again for listening. Have a great week ahead. Thank you.